0: you got a new pastor coming, coming all the way from Pennsylvania. It's, it's, it's a thrill to know that Josh Wilson is coming to be that new lead pastor. Uh, I know his dad. I know his mom. I know his grandfather and his great-grandfather. They're all Church of God folk. They were preachers down through the years, and we're thankful that uh, Josh is following in those steps. And so we're asking you to pray much for him. Transition time is not always easy. Leaving a church and coming to a new location and learning all of the people. And, uh, so we're, we're excited. It was worth the wait, wasn't it? Well, a couple of you think it was. <laughs> it was worth the wait. <laughs> uh, and so uh, we're glad. We're happy for the church. We're thrilled that, that, uh, God is, is sending someone to you that will be here, uh, in a full-time capacity, I'm thankful this morning for this service and uh, knowing that the Lord is already leading. Because I never tell anybody what I'm going to preach. Because sometimes I don't even know it's a Thursday or Friday. I may work on something all week and change my mind at the end of the week because the Spirit's leading me in a different direction. But when I read the, and seen the songs that uh, that you picked out this morning, I mean, giving of our best and. Uh, and then uh, Cheryl, with the uh, with the children's ministry, I'm glad the kids are here today because I, I want to include them in this message because I want to talk about a little boy, a little boy that was involved in it. Well, before I do that, let me let me give you a story. Uh, uh, you know, I always got to have a story. But but a Sunday school teacher was teaching her, her Sunday school class about communion this time of the year. And so as she was teaching the lesson, she was telling them about the story. The Bible talks about holy communion. She said to the children, and then she says, uh, uh, it, it, "Holy communion is a joyful feast. It's a it's a feast, and you're joyful in it. And what does that mean? Well, joyful means happy, right? If it's joyful, you're happy. And then secondly, she said, it's a meal, it's a feast, and a feast is a meal." And so she waited a few moments and she said to the kids, now now, let me ask you, what is a a, a communion? What is that happy meal? And one little boy threw his hand up right away. He said, I know, I know. It's a hamburger, fries, and a Coke. (laughs) Well, we better be a little more full when we're teaching that. uh, But he had the concept. He knew what it was about. And so a happy meal is a time when we can share together with the Lord from His Word, and I hope that we'll have a happy meal even here today. But uh, I want to share with you from John chapter number 6, John, the Gospel of John chapter number 6. It, it's a familiar story, but, but it drives home a point that I think we sometimes forget. In chapter 6, let me begin at verse number 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. A great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up to the mountain and he sat down with his disciples. It was a Jewish Passover. The feast was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered and said, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one of these to have one bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish. But how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, and five thousand of them. Jesus then took the loaves and broke and gave thanks and distributed those to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all, they all had enough to eat. He said to the disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. God never wastes anything, so they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people had saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began saying, "Surely this is a prophet who is come unto the world." Jesus, knowing that they intended him to come to make him king by force withdrew himself again to the mountain to be by himself. When I begin to think about that scripture this morning, it's amazing how God uses children. And I thought about that story. You know, I, I, as I read that story, I began to think about an occurrence that happened for a Christian couple. It happened, in, uh, I, I believe it was back in September of 1989. When a young couple in North Carolina was set to open a restaurant, that was a dream that they had always had, to be able to open a restaurant. And when the day came, all was needed that was left to open this restaurant was for the final health inspection and the issuing of a business permit. They were scheduled to open as they got the permit the next day. And so they were excited about it. The couple... Uh, named the little restaurant Our Place. It was an Our Place. It had lots of little scriptures hanging around and, and the placemats, you know, gave a little bit of insight of the Bible. They thought it would be a great ministry. But as they woke the next morning, waiting to get the, the, the final inspector to come and get, issue those license and they would be able to open the doors to everybody. But when they went to sleep that night and when they awakened in the morning, They found that there was winds and rain. Hurricane Hugo hit the Atlantic coast. Unexpectedly, a furious storm made its way 200 miles inland. Some of you remember the storm. It destroyed homes and power lines and and stores and trees uprooted. And and the young couple, when they woken to hear all of this going on, it was the day they were to open their restaurant. So they hurried to the restaurant to see if they were damaged. And when they pulled up to the restaurant, to their amazement, the restaurant wasn't touched. But no sooner did they get to the door until a, a, a sheriff's car pulled up. And the sheriff came over and said to them, he said, you know, We want you to know that Hugo has done a lot of damage. And I want you to know that your restaurant and the fire station next door and a gas station down the road is the only place in this area that's got electricity. And so they said, well... We need to get a hold of the uh, of the Department of Health. We need to get a permit. We need to open this restaurant. They're going to need this. And so they went to the cell phone. They tried to get a hold of him. He said, "I'd be happy to, but I can't even get in the building, let alone offer you a permit." Well, What do you do? It's the day to open a restaurant. And as they begin to think about that, you know, as they looked at it, they they, they knew that the refrigerator was filled with three hundred pounds of bacon and beef. There were bushels of lettuces and tomatoes and and bread by the, by the loads. And, and what could they do with all of this? It's time to open and if, if we lose our power, we're going to lose it all. And so they just decided, well, maybe the Lord just wants us to give it away. So they did. They contacted the sheriff and said, I want you to tell everybody all the workers, all the linemen, all the people that are helping in this storm, that we are going to give free. Free to all of the workers, the BLTs, free coffee. To all of them. They began to line up and come in and pretty soon they got word that people begin to spread the word that there was a restaurant that just up the road a few miles away into the next town that knew the tragedy was there and they were being packed out. But the people were taking advantage of them. They were gouging them for $10 for two eggs, a piece of bacon, and a slice of toast. And so they decided they would build a big sign out in front. It said, Free food to all. Every family, every visitor, everybody that comes has free BLTs, free coffee, free drinks, whatever they want. And then the miracle began to happen. You know, they said as they begin to tell this story, as they begin to look at this, there was something quite amazing to happen. People who came... People who came and drank and ate begin to clean the counters, they begin to clean the floor, they begin to take over the kitchen and washing the dishes, they begin to help on the grill in the back. And it wasn't long until they be all of the volunteers that were working together, and then the word came out to those that were in the neighboring town that didn't quite. Get as much damage, and they begin to realize these people needed more than even the 300 pounds that they had in the freezer. They begin to unload their freezer and bring it in and give the food so they could supply those people that were hungry from that storm. And then there was another merchant in town that began to realize that they needed other things, and so they begin to pack up and bring things to them. And let me just tell you, in the closing of that story, as I read it and I thought about it, I thought, my, that's a, that's a great message. Because you see, somehow that day, those first free cups of coffee, those free BLTs stretched to 16,000 in one day and a half. Now let me tell you something, when I read that, I began to think about that 500 loaves of bread began to increase. 350 pots of coffee, bushels of produce and meat were given. It was a miracle that happened in North Carolina in 1998. And I begin to think, well, that reminds me of a story I read in the book of John. Because was not that the story that the little boy that gave the few fish and the few loaves of bread that God blessed? You see, God just doesn't do miracles back 2,000 years ago. He does them today. And this is proof of that story that happened. The lesson today speaks of the Sea of Galilee. And I thought about that Sea of Galilee when I read it now because I was there a few years ago. I sailed on the Sea of Galilee and I begin to think about it's not a very big sea at all. It's not a very big place. I mean, the Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long and at the widest point it's 8 miles wide. So that's not very big when you think about a sea. But Jesus went across that sea to get quiet time alone with His disciples. He got in a boat and they went across the sea to the mountainside. And then the Bible says that they came up on that mountainside and He began to sit down and teach His disciples. And as he was teaching them, as, as probably much like we do here. And, and all of a sudden, he turned his back and began to look, and there were crowds of people, thongs of people that were gathering around, coming to hear what he had to say, because they knew him as the one who performed miracles and had brought healing and had changed lives. And so they came, and Jesus saw them there. And what did he say? He said, we're, you know, what are we going to do to feed this crowd? And so he already knew what he was going to do, but he said to Philip, he said, how would you suppose we're going to feed this crowd? He said, a good question. <laughs> you know, Philip was smart. Philip said, it's a good question. I, I, you know, how, how would you feed a crowd this side? There's no McDonald's, there's no Wendy's, there's no, uh, there's no, uh, Burger King. And, and to some of you even that went to New Freddy's over there, there's no Freddy's. There's nothing. You see, there's nowhere to get food. There was nowhere to have food to come in. And Jesus turned to one of His disciples for advice. He said, on this matter, and Philip answered, it would be more than a half a year's wages to buy bread enough to even feed them one bite. Can you imagine? To even feed them one bite. And from Philip's answer was clear that that there was no nearby restaurants. There was no nearby carryouts. And so they begin to the feel, and you know what he finally come up with? He said, you know, not only that, but uh, you know, it's going to be difficult to feed them. Maybe we ought to send them home. But then Andrew, you know, not remember Andrew. Andrew was a different kind of guy. Andrew was the one that heard about Jesus and, and found Jesus, and he was the one that went out and, and, and brought the message of, of salvation and the power of Jesus to his brother. You know, when I thought about that, he was the one that brought it to Simon Peter. And Andrew was certainly not a leader as Peter was. But there was something special. And I want you to notice that God doesn't use all of us in the same way. Simon Peter was a great preacher, a great man, a great deliverer of the message. But don't you think for a moment that Andrew wasn't important. He may not have got on the platform. He may not have not got the microphone in his hand. But Andrew was the type of person that, that he was a people person. When I think about Andrew, I'm always picking on my wife. But you know what? She's an Andrew. You know why? Because you see, no matter where she goes, I took her to the nursing home. And sitting in the hall, There's a lady sitting in a chair singing from the top of her voice. Who begins to sing with her? When I take her to the grocery store, I lose her. I'm going up and down the aisles. I've got the shopping list. I know what we need. and, And so I'm going around and picking it out. And I lose her because she found somebody that's looking at some carrots over here. And she gets a conversation with them. She's going to talk to whoever it is, no matter where we are. I I let her go in the gas station to get us a cup of coffee. I'm sitting in the car using up a gallon of gas because she's talking to everybody in the gas station. You see, Andrew was that way. You know how I know? Because you see, children in those days was not important. They didn't even count them in the crowd. But Andrew saw a little boy. Andrew talked to that little boy. Andrew looked at that little boy. He knew what was going on in his life. And when the, tra- when, the, when the difficulty came and Jesus asked a question, Andrew said, you know what? I was talking to a little fellow over there, and he, he came to hear what you had to say. He wanted to see those miracles too. But he was smarter than the adults. Sometimes children are. He brought himself a sack lunch. He brought himself some loaves, some bread, and some fish because he knew he wasn't leaving as long as there was something exciting going on. And Andrew was willing enough and out of mind enough to be interested enough in a little child that he said, Jesus, I just talked to a young fellow over there, and he brought himself some barley and some fish. And if you think that's important, I'll get them up here and Jesus had them bring them to me. You know, Jesus said, you remember the Scriptures, you suffer the little children coming to me if you read them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Children are important in the life of Christ. And so when I begin to think about this story, now you're saying He's not scriptural here, but you know, you've know, got to realize, I, I can you know take that Scripture and I can make something of it, but, but I'm telling you that Jesus was interested in that child. Because that child was going to be part of a miracle. He was going to be part of a miracle. And so when I begin to think about that, Jesus, maybe no one else, any of the other disciples, even noticed that little boy, that Andrew noticed him in the crowd. Beverly would notice him in the crowd, no matter who they are. And no matter how old or how young they are. Children didn't count in the report of attendance in those days. By the way, neither did women. When you read the Scripture, you'll find that it said He had 5,000 men set down. You see, but Jesus changed all of that. Women, I want you to know he you are important to Him now. But Jesus changed all of that in His ministry when He came. Children became important. Women became important. Jesus changed all of that. But Andrew had noticed and talked with this young boy. His boy had five small barley loaves and two fish that he was willing to give. He was willing to give it to you. Now, sometimes, you know, we're, we're not willing to give. But a child will give you about anything. I teach them every once in a while. Somebody will go through the door out here and, and I'll say, can I have a little of that? They want to give it all to me. Or they may break off a piece. They may, some of them, I've even had some put it in their teeth and break it off and then take it out and hand it to me. But you know, children are willing to give. And Jesus knew that. Because the Scripture says before he even asked Philip what we're going to do, he already knew in his mind that that young boy was there. He probably planted it in his mind and the boy didn't even realize it. But I'd like to think today that some young boy or some young girl here this morning who, who like this lad with five small barley loaves and two fishes has something to offer Jesus. I believe that. I I really believe that's why Sunday school is important. Listen to me, church. That's why Bible school is important. That's the reason why youth camps are important. Because God wants to instill in the minds of these children when they're young and their minds is developing that He has something special for them in this life. You don't have to wait till everybody else understands you. You know, the problem is that we get age things in here. Age has nothing to do with what God... God will speak through anyone at any time at any age. And so when I think about children, we take our children's ministry serious. In churches where we have pastored... Children have always, my friend, wanted to be important. We always made sure they got the to youth camp. We always made I'd even get people to say, why don't you sponsor one? Your kids are growing, you're a grandparent now. We got kids that need to go to camp. Some families got four kids. They can't afford son. Why don't you sponsor them? I get all kinds of people that would sponsor kids because those kids would come back from youth camp. And they would have learned about Jesus and they'd begin to tell you about the songs and the the Scripture that they learned and the experience that they had. You see, that's important. You know, most people would have never done what Cheryl did this morning. But you know what? Cheryl believes children are important. And you know why? Most people would have said, well, talk about the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) You know, talk about it to children they don't understand. Yes, they do. They need to know that if they open their heart, that that Spirit will deal with them. Well, I believe the children are important. I want also our boys and girls to know that they are an important part of the church. These children are an important part of this church. What would we do without our children? What would we do without our youth? What would we be even in this time? They're worth far more than any effort we put into it. They're worth more than anything that it costs us in supplying first-rate Christian education stuff. They, we must give these children an opportunity. I can remember when we used to do work camps and, and sometimes, you know, children would want to go. Young people would want to go. And, and there would always be the adults saying, well, I don't know if we want that responsibility. But I can remember many a times when our youth pastor We'd gather kids, the youth group together. We have, been to, we have been to Oak Hill Children's Home many a time, painting and hauling hay and taking care of animals. Anything to get those kids on the camp to know that there are kids that are less fortunate than them that are in that children's home. We need to let children be exposed to it. I believe you take children. We used to take our children to nursing homes, and they get a chance to see the elderly people. And many of those elderly people, me, we look at them as somebody that's kind of wore out and worn out. you know. And I'm there now. I know, you know. I think that when we go to this nursing home with children, and they begin to see them, and some of them just want to hold their hand, they just want to touch new flesh because theirs is worn out. They want to know that there's a child that's still, they want to see and dream of all of that. And children learn from that. And so when we think about our children, my friend, I've given them chances. I've taken young people in the country and out of the country on work camp because, you know, it helped them. You know what? what we do with children? Think about this. I have a son that's in ministry. He's been there quite a number of years. Been up there in the distant uh, 29 years, and and you know he does he does puppet work and he does ventriloquism and he does preaching and he does singing. And I thought about that. You know, there was a day when he was just a little boy. When we allowed him to go into the church and take a little cassette and play it and learn that song to be able to sing, we let him go into classes and help teach. And my wife has been good at that. Of letting. I can take you to churches where she had kids in junior church and then had the youth that helped in that junior church. I want to tell you something. They are on boards and they are in leadership. They are playing pianos and organs and guitars and drums and they're, pl- they're leading music. I can take you to Newcastle Pennsylvania and show you a young lady that's leading the music there. There was just a little girl under our ministry. But you see, she grew up knowing that she could do this. We always had children's programs. We always had kids' musicals. Why? Because we wanted kids to know that they're important to the church. Children are important. Jesus said they're important to us. And so when we begin to think about that, you know, I thought about Samuel Wesley. Samuel Wesley, you know, uh, he he was a devout minister in the Church of England. Then another century. But you know what? He began to see the church of England going soft and going shallow. And he began to see that the Spirit wasn't there. And he began to have a burden and his heart began to get heavy. And it began to burn within him that he wanted to see the church of England revived and renewed. And so he would go to his office Sometimes in his home and he would get his office out in the front of the house and, and, and as he was sitting in the office, he was reading and praying and seeking God. God, we need a revival in the church. We need a renewing in the church. And as he was praying and thinking about this, up and down the steps to the house on the second floor, he had two boys that were being boys. They were running up and down the steps, up and down the steps, laughing and giggling and having a wonderful time. And it kind of interrupted his prayer and his concentration. And so he got up from his office and he went outside and he said to those boys, yell at him!" he said, you're making so much noise. Don't you realize, son, I'm trying to pray to God to send a revival to the church and you're making too much noise. You go somewhere else and play. Little did Samuel Wesley know That it would be Charles and John, those two little boys that were running up and down those steps that would change the direction of the church in the next decade. You see, we don't know. You see, he was praying for the church to have a revival and he was sending away the very people that God was going to use. Sometimes, you know, that happens with us, with children. Children are important. They've always been important to the church. And so when I begin to think about that, boys and girls matter in our lives. Boys and girls matter to the church. And we need to do everything we can to help them grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Helping them to know that there is a, there is a plan of salvation. That there's a plan for their life. God never made anybody that He didn't have a plan to them. You know what? You may have not found it yet, but God never made any junk. God always made something within every one of us that can be a gift. I don't care. It may be small. It may be something simple. But I'm also thankful not only for children. I'm thankful for our teenagers. Amen? I'm thankful for our teenagers. Oh, I got it. Yeah. Because you know what? I realize that teenagers have a lot of influence. People will listen to them when they won't listen to nobody else. You see, we want to hear, I hear people say all the time, well, you know, I I don't know, them youth, they got all these things they're dreaming about. Oh, they got all these far-fetched things. And, And you know what, I found something in life. I've lived long enough to find out two things. Young people are always wanting to tell you what they're going to be. And old people are going to tell you what they were. Right? I mean, we're telling you everything I was, and they're telling you everything they're going to be. So what's the difference if we listen to one we ought to listen to the other. Young people are important to the church. That's the reason why by the way I don't know how many of you put change in. You know what last week I I tried to experiment myself on that little thing we milked and put out there in the front. You know what I had I had a handful that I couldn't even hardly hold because last week everywhere I went I never used a penny. I never used a coin. I broke it all a bill. I broke it all a bill. And I brought that change and dumped it in that little thing out there for youth because we're going to change youth. We're going to change lives. We're not going to have a shortage of pastors and missionaries. We're not going to have a shortage of youth pastors. Because you see, we're going to change them early enough in life that they don't get their goals set on something else in the world before they're their, their, their in tune with God and His calling upon their lives. You hang with me on it, and I'm going to check you out in a year or so. Okay, you hang with me on that because I believe that I believe that's exactly what's going to happen. You see what we need today is to realize that we need to be our young people are important. We realize what young people can be and what they can do with God's help. You may think you can't do anything. You you would never believe this. But when I first got saved, when somebody called my name, Or somebody spoke to me in the church. My ears got on fire. My face got red. And I couldn't even talk. Now I know that's hard to believe. But you know what? I was that way. I was shy. And when I felt that God was calling and people were saying, God's got His calling upon your life. Just keep moving forward. I kept saying, you don't know what you're talking about. I can't even talk. I can't do anything. And you know what? They said, you allow the Holy Spirit to work and it will happen. And you know what? I've been doing this for 50 years. When I couldn't do it before. Why? Because people prayed for me when I was just a young boy. You know what? I like the Scripture in First Timothy 4 and 12 says, Don't let people put you down because you're young. Oh, I had lots of people say that in my ministry, you know. Oh, you got a preacher out there. I preached in a church that, you know what, when I first took my first pastor, everybody in the church almost was older than me. <laughs> you, know, you know, but I, I kept holding on to that Scripture where Paul told Timothy, Don't let anybody tell you to be quiet because you're young. Keep talking, you'll get old. (laughs) Keep telling it. It'll come forth to you. And so when I think about it, we're thankful for our children, our youth, and the potential for service in the master does not decrease with age. I'm also thankful for the middle aged and the older folk. Because I read not long ago an article that told me that, you know, that the most productive years in a person's life is late in life. The most productive years is late in life. I'm still looking for the production. It's late in life that you get the production. Here's a boy, Andrew said. There is someone here today that has something to offer the Master. It could be a child. It could be a teenager. It could be an adult between the ages of 25 and 95. I don't know. But I believe that God has something to offer today through each and every one of us. Believe me, everyone in this room at every age has something to offer God. I read an interesting story. I'm so thankful today when I think about our missionaries. All the years that they spent. All the years that's out there. And then I came across a story in a book John Orgaby tells about uh, the me I want to be. And there was a story in that book that I loved. And that story tells about, it tells about a wonderful story uh, that offered of a woman who offered herself to God. The woman's name was Evelyn Brand. She was the mother of the famous missionary, Dr. Paul Brand. I'm sure you've probably read this story. I'm going to share it anyway. When she was a young woman, Evelyn felt the call of God. She was just a teenager, just a young girl. And she, she back then, you know, we had more missionaries come to the churches. And so she saw these missionaries that would come, and, and she wanted to be one, and God began to burn it in her heart. She wanted to be a missionary. She was just a young girl. Who would ever think a young girl could go to the mission field back in the ni- early 1900s, 1909 I believe it was? She had this burden. She prayed, God, you've laid on them hard. Hell, I want to go to India. I want to go and be a missionary. And she met the sweetheart of her life. She met a young man by the name of Jesse Brand. Jesse had also received a call to go to the mission field in India. And so they married. And when they married, just as soon as they married, they both felt that call and they were commissioned by the church board to go to India. They went with excitement like you'll have when your new pastor comes. We're always excited when we get here, you know. Don't let that excitement drop. But they went to the mission field. They were excited about getting the mission field, going to India to the people that needed Jesus and they wanted to share Him. But you know what? For the first seven years, they had not one convert. Not one convert, I don't know how many pastors, I don't know how many of us could sit around for seven years with nobody making a move, with nobody seeming as though getting saved. But they hung it out. They felt God sent them to India. They went to India for the first seven years. They never won one person to Jesus Christ. But then the priest of the religion of the tribe of India got sick. And in that part of the country when you get sick, they don't know what the Spirit is that's within you. And so they don't want to catch it, and they don't want it being obsessed on them. So everybody avoided this religious leader. Nobody wanted to be around them. But it gave the brands the opportunity to minister to them. He was sick unto death. He was going to die. He had a disease that couldn't be cured, they said. And so nobody wanted to be around him. But they ministered to him. They fed him. They watered him. gave him water to drink. They held his sweaty head. They washed his stinking body. They did everything they could. And finally, in his last days, he said, the God, Jesus, that the brands had, has got to be the God that we worship. He died a few days later. But because they took care of this religious leader, begin to minister and people begin to flock to hear about the story of Jesus. They begin to flock to come because they knew that if they got sick, they needed a God that they could count on. And I want to tell you the story he said that within the next 13 years, there was people from everywhere coming to India, in India coming to know Jesus because of their ministry. Thirteen years later, Jesse died. By then, Evelyn was 50 years old. Everybody thought Evelyn would go back to England, go back home. But she didn't. She stayed. She continued that ministry. She rode horseback out to where the people were and continued to minister to them for the next 20 years. And then she became to the age where the mission board said, you're 70 years old, you need to retire. You need to come home. She refused to come home. Drop your support, she said. But I'm not going home. God called me to be a missionary to India and I'm going to stay there. And she did. She went out and had a little old shack built. She bought herself that little pony. And she would still go from village to village carrying the message of Jesus Christ. Until one day she was riding and the horse made a little stumble and she fell off and broke her hip. And they ministered to her and they prayed for her in the name of that Jesus that she was representing. And God healed her. And she went back out and she went back on that pony and she continued to go until she couldn't get on the pony no more. And then finally, when she got to that point, she had so many believers around her that they put her on a stretcher and they carried her from town to town. At 93, at 93, she died. She never retired. She just got promoted. When I read that story, I thought, Lord, help me to never totally retire. Help me just to graduate. Because that's exactly what she did. She never said, when I get to a certain age, i got to quit. She stayed from a youth all the way through that ministry to the people and millions of people come to know. And more than that, they had a son. Remember their son. They had a child. His name you know, was Paul Brand. Paul Brand is a great physician. He's a great book writer. He still works with the people in India. Why? Because that ministry kept going and going and going. You see, that's what happens with our families when we come to know Jesus Christ and do what's right. I want to tell you something. Look what happens to Jessie Brand. Long and productive ministry of what they had given. It didn't die at 93 when she did. You know... When I look at Jesus, little boy, with those five loaves and two fishes, and how God blessed them, multiplied them. The effect, my friend, of that miracle was electrifying. People begin to believe like they would never believed before. Jesus didn't want them to merely be He didn't want to be an earthly king. He could have been. That's what they wanted them. They said, man, this guy's got, he he draws people. He has influence over people. Let's make him our king. Jesus didn't want to become an earthly king. He wanted to become a king of their hearts. He's still king today. He's the King of our hearts. He wants to become the King of our hearts. And I want to tell you something. They thought, well, this is a prophet in the world. But you know what? Jesus is still wanting to become King of the hearts. You know what I believe? I believe He still wants to be the King of the hearts of young people, of young men, of young women. He wants to become the King of hearts of the aging, the middle age and the older people. Jesus wants to reign and rule in our lives, my friend, today. He wants to have us. He wants to take those five barley loaves and two fishes that you have in your hand today. He wants to take that talent. He wants to take that ability. You know, some people get so smart, they think, man, I can do anything. I have this kind of knowledge. Let me tell you something. You wouldn't have none of that if God wouldn't have already planted it in your heart and your mind. But what are you doing with it? What are you doing with what God put in your hand? God put five loaves, two fish in the hands of a little boy and changed the world. And I can take you back to the Old Testament. And you know what? There was that prophet back there, you know, that was hungry and starving. And what did God do? He took a little old widow woman who had the last bit of oil and the last bit of meal and He said to her, God laid on her heart, make him a Dinner. And she took what she had and God blessed her throughout the rest of her life. You remember the woman in the Scripture who had the few coins? She gave what she had in her hand. It wasn't as much as everybody else, but what she gave was important. You know what? No matter what your ability is today, God's given you talents. God's given you abilities. He's given every person in this building something that can add to the kingdom, that can add to the church. You need to be seeking it. You need to be honest enough to say, God, what is it that You've given? I know it's in My hand. I know it's within My power. What do You want Me to do with it? And when you dedicate it to Him and allow Him to use it, it's amazing what God can do. God wants to raise up leaders within the church. He wants us to fulfill those, those things. Jesus is looking for person whose influence can be magnified and multiplied. That's how he always works. Jesus' plan of redemption, my friend, was each one of us, young and old, offering ourselves and finding others that need to know him. The story of the 5,000 appeared in all four gospels, but you know what? I was amazed when I looked them up and reading through them. You know what? I thought about this. John's gospel is the only one that tells you that the feeding of the 5,000 was done by a little boy's sack lunch. The other writers missed it. John's the only one that talked about him being a little boy. I'm going to tell you something. God has little boys, little girls. He has young men, young women. He has middle-aged couples. He has us older folk. That He says, putting us all together, we can build the kingdom of God. We can build the church of God. We can do the ministry that God wants us to do in this area. But the only way it happens is when we don't hold it in our hands and think it's mine. We have to give it. We have to say, God, it's yours. I may not be much, but whatever I am, whatever you can get out of me, whatever you can use me for, I give myself to you today, wholly, completely, unto you. And God, when I do whatever you impress on me to do, I'll be willing to do it. That's all it is. It's simple. People make it hard. I like Cheryl saying, you know what? You didn't have to have education to know the Bible. That's true. You know what? I believe the problem we have today, the reason we don't have so many ministries and so many, so many in the church, is because we got a lot of folks that just think you go to school and you become a preacher. Let me tell you something. The Bible calls people. You know, we all can't be preachers or there wouldn't be nobody to preach to. And you know what? Preachers are hard people to preach to anyway. So you know what? God calls every one of us as individuals to do our place in the body of Christ. There is not a task in this community. There's not a leader. In, there's not a, a, a situation in this church that needs to be fulfilled that God hasn't already placed somebody here to do it. You just need to wake up to the fact that you may be the person. God's laid His hand upon all of us. And today we need to be willing to be like that little boy. We're gonna close, but I think, I think you need to be like that little boy. I think today, in the crowd, you may think you're nothing. That little boy won more. but you know what? When he gave it, let me add one more thing that I can think about that little boy when I think about a child. You know what? When he did, can you imagine when he went back home? Can you imagine what he told his mom? Can you imagine what he told his friends? You know that little lunch I had? Do you know that it said it fed 5,000 plus? They said, oh, you gotta be crazy. He said, I'll tell you. Ask the people that were out there. They'll tell you. You see, it's exciting when we do our ministry. What's exciting is is that when I get to a minister's meeting, I'm not interested in telling them how many people I have. I'm interested in telling them how God saved, how God healed, how God filled them with the Spirit. That's what I'm interested in. I want to tell people what Jesus is doing because Jesus does that. You can't do it. I can't do it, but He can. So let's be excited today what God's doing in our lives. If you have the opportunity this morning to listen to the Spirit of God and say, God, what I have, the talent I have, big or small, I give it to you. You use it. I'll give you the glory for it. And when He does, great things will happen. Let's stand together. Father, today, we thank You for that little boy. We thank You, Lord, for the little sacrifice that He made. Oh God, we pray today that you would help us as a people of God to realize, Lord, that you have something that you want to do within the life of this church. Lord, we pray for young people, for children, Lord, children that will be excited, children that will want to tell others and their friends about what the Holy Spirit's all about, what Jesus is all about, what God is all about, what Holy Communion's all about. Father, we pray that for our young people today to pray, Lord, that You would instill and, and, and within their heart and help them to know that You put calls upon their lives very early. Father, help them to follow through. And I call then for the middle age and the adult. Lord, help us to realize we can never retire. We're always in the work of the Lord until our last breath. Speak to hearts and lives right here this morning as we sing. We'll give you the thanks. In Christ's name we pray. Will you come as we sing? you please turn to page 403, 403.